You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beekeeping for Newbies. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I am here with you today on a part two. So if you're just joining this episode, have not seen the one right before it, go back, check that out first. Otherwise, some things might be a little bit out of order for you. But wanted to announce an exciting guest that we have here today. So if you remember back to some of the earlier episodes, I talked about my daughter, Phoebe, who I call the uh, Phoebe Keeper. Wanted to bring her in and you know have her kind of share some of her thoughts and ideas and things around beekeeping and uh, get her perspective from a younger person and see what, you know, see what she thinks. So I was finally able to kind of break her away from from all the stuff she's got going on between school and church and friends and activities and all those uh, good things that young folks are doing. And we have her here today. Good afternoon, Phoebes. Hello. Hey, hey. All right. So we're going to chat with her real quick, run through a couple of things, and then we're going to get back to the some of the areas that I've been promising that I still haven't gotten caught up on. But we are going to do it in this episode. We're going to talk about the frames. There's a little bit a little bit more information I want to give you around that that I think is really important. We're going to talk about inspections, how often you need to inspect the hives, how that frequency changes across the seasons from spring all the way to, through the fall. And we're also going to talk about, you know, some of the pests and uh, enemies of the colonies and things that we have to deal with throughout the season. So we'll cover that as well. And then just kind of wrap everything up with some some best practices, you know, things that you should just be kind of cognizant of and thinking of throughout your beekeeping journey. Uh, jumping in here to our chat with Phoebe, need a little bit of an intro for her. So I've been keeping bees now for, I think I'm going in here to the, about the 10th year, and she's been in, involved for the past six years. And I would say that, you know, any any young person, particularly someone of her age, I think she was about, you know, eight or nine when she first started doing this, you know, you kind of dip your toe in a little bit, you know, check the temperature. You know, that was exactly kind of what she did, you know, first started standing, you know, 15, 20 feet away in sort of observation mode. And then we finally got her closer and closer to the hives. You know, now now she'll do everything, right? She'll do inspections. She'll She's pretty good at tracking down a queen. I can hand her a frame. Usually within, you know, 15, 20 seconds, she's got that, that queen tracked down. A lot of times we will do some alternating between one person inspecting 
while the other one is taking notes. So she's, she's very good at and active with that. I had asked her, geez, I said, is there anything else that I forgot in the list? And she says, uh, oh, well, honey extraction. And I thought, oh, okay. And I said, well, when we were extracting honey last year, what, what were you doing? And what was her answer? I said, watching you. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, hey, moral support's important, right? So it was good to have her there. So I'll take that. So, Phoebes, good afternoon. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's All good right. to be here. Thank you, thank you. So I just want to run through a couple things with you here and get your perspective and your thoughts, and the floor is yours. So of all the things in beekeeping, right, the good, the bad, the ugly, what would you say, so it's sort of a two-part kind of question, what would you say would be your least favorite and then conversely your most favorite thing about beekeeping? Well, my least favorite thing is probably in the summer. It gets really hot, like when you're doing inspections with all your gear on. It can just get a little bit overwhelming, especially if you don't have water out there or if you're just exhausted in any way. And my favorite thing is probably just at the end of the day when you can see the little bees flying around your apiary, and it's just rewarding, fun to see. I don't know. That was dumb. <laughs> but, yeah. No, you're fine. No, that's awesome. So, for the record, I, I don't withhold water from her during our inspections. I don't, I don't force her to be dehydrated. But that brings up a really good point. You know, I think back to, and, and Phoebe is saying this because she still stays head to toe very protected. And, and I, as a father, I feel really good about that. I like, you know, anybody who's a parent, you know that you don't want your child to experience pain in any way. And, you know, I don't want her to get hurt. I don't want her to feel bad. There will be a time where she will do like, you know, most recreational beekeepers do and they kind of start shedding gear over time. But as long as she can tolerate the heat and she's fine with it, I'm okay with her staying kind of covered head to toe. But like for myself, I used to do the exact same thing. And then... I went from, you know, the full head-to-toe, you know, coveralls with the gloves and everything. I kind of started shedding things as well. I went to a very lightweight pullover with a integrated veil and gloves. And I think one of the first things I did, though, was, was getting those gloves gone. Because as you, you start getting into the frames and into the, the inspections and things, and you're moving those frames around you realize that with the gloves on, you don't have the dexterity. And it's easy to, to squeeze and crush a little bee. And one, you, you, want, to, you, know, you want to try and minimize casualties if you can. But, but two, being able to feel the frame and, and know exactly where your fingers are, it just makes it so much easier to get things done. I've seen several beekeepers in different places. There's a guy uh, who puts out some pretty good content on YouTube. He wears Carhartt overalls. And I always see him Carhartt overalls, white t-shirt, and just a veil protecting his face, right? Nothing wrong with that. It works for him. I think there are times where I'm doing a really quick inspection and I'll just have on, you know, shorts, a t-shirt, and a veil, right? Just doing a really quick check of one thing or another. A lot of that, too, is, is based on, you know, how many colonies are you inspecting at that time? What level of detail of an inspection are you doing? What time of year? These are all things that, that would impact that. Do you... Do you, as far as, you know, beekeeping and thinking about, like, you know, your age group and things like that, do you see beekeeping as something that is really only fun or rewarding for older people? Or do you think that maybe with younger people there's just not the opportunity or exposure? Or, or maybe if they had that exposure, they, they may be more inclined to get involved. What are your thoughts there? I feel like it's something that could definitely be more talked about in elementary school slash middle school 
but I know if I were like a younger kid, I would definitely not come up to my parents and be like, hey, I really want to do beekeeping. But since my dad was involved with it, I really wanted to just try it out and see if I liked it, and I do. Okay. Now that makes sense. And so maybe it's something that we, you know, on the, even if you're not a commercial beekeeper, right, even if you're a recreational hobbyist beekeeper, maybe it's one of those things where you can reach out to the school board or a local elementary school and just say, hey, would you folks mind if I came in and did a presentation? You know, love to get more more sort of community involvement. And, and uh, that, so that might be something that we as a, you know, beekeeping apiculture kind of community need to take on as a kind of an extracurricular thing that we could do to kind of increase that awareness. So that's a, that's a great point. You know, as you talk to and engage with your friends and have different dialogue with them and, you know, a little bit of TikTok action here and there and all the good stuff going on in the world, what are some of the questions and then your answers to those questions that are kind of common from your friends? Usually they ask things like, how much work do you do with the bees, or and how often do you get stung, or can I have some honey when you get it? <laughs> and usually I say, over the summer, it takes a lot more work to get things done, but when they ask how much work it takes um, to take care of the bees, I usually say it's less of work and more fun things to do, because it's nobody's forcing me to do it. Like It's something that I enjoy doing, and I don't, I don't think I want to stop in the near future. As for getting stung, I usually say that the bees don't really want to hurt you. They just want to live their life. So if you just try not to like touch them a lot or like poke at them, they usually stay pretty calm. No, that's a great point, you know, and that's where I think, you know, we've probably touched on it in the past, but, you know, a couple of puffs of smoke here and there. But, you know, even even when I interact with the colonies, if, um, you know, if I'm just going to go up and take a quick peek or maybe if I'm just literally walking up, I, I generally don't approach the hive right from the front. I kind of come up from the side and take a look at the entrance. But, you know, there are, there are times where things will fall, you know, a leaf or something will fall off a tree and end up right there at the entrance or whatever. And I can just reach up with my finger and move it out of the way. You know, I mean, in general, they're, they're a pretty docile creature. They don't like you, you know, obviously doing things that are threatening to them. They don't respond very well to a lot of vibration and banging around. So if you're doing an inspection, you know, you want to try and just be slow and methodical about what you're doing and take your time. But no, that's a good point. Unless you have a problem with a, a bad, you know, colony that technically that's going to be originating from the genetic traits of the queen. If you have an aggressive colony, you need to start looking at that requeening that colony. So good point. So, Phoebe, last question that I've got here for you. As we move into this new phase of things, right, where we're transitioning from having anywhere from, you know, a half a dozen to 50 colonies here at the house to this commercial kind of approach and doing, you know, pollination contracts and services kind of around the country and things. Where do you see, I mean, you've got a few years of high school left. You've got, you know, potentially going to college or doing other types of business and things you might want to do. Where do you see yourself with all of this over the next, you know, four or five years? Over the next few years, I'd definitely love to stay involved. But because our aviary is about an hour away from our house, it gets a little bit difficult balancing it between schoolwork and being down there. And it can definitely be a little bit overwhelming when I have homework I need to do or other schoolwork I need to do. And I'd rather be outside with the bees hanging out with them or doing inspections. Okay, so what I'm taking away from that is that once you get your driver's license and the school year is over, you'll just drive down to the apiary and be there full-time over the summer because you won't have any schoolwork to do and you won't have to worry about the drive or anything. We'll, all, we'll have your services 
every summer from now indefinitely. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> okay, I'll take that as a, as a no there. So, okay, well, awesome. Well, Phoebe, thank you so much for taking the time here and breaking away from all the stuff. I know you got some homework to do and some other things going on. But I appreciate you jumping on with us today. You're always welcome to come back anytime and tell us about your exciting bee adventures. And I definitely would love for you to share your perspective of things as we as we keep moving, uh, you know, moving down our our path here and our journey and and all of that. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll see you around. That was the Phoebe Keeper here, and now we'll move on. We'll go on the next subject here, and we'll jump into frames. So I know I've touched on some things with frames before and different sizes of them. And remember, whether you're doing shallows, mediums, or deeps, you know, that's all kind of your personal preference based on what you've set up. But what I want to talk about is is specifically the kind of the, the makeup of those frames, right? I would say that in my experience, the three types that I have used primarily have been a wooden frame with wax foundation. And then from there, I went to an all plastic foundation, uh, all plastic frame, excuse me. The whole whole frame is completely plastic. And then the next step in that was a all wooden frame with plastic foundation, basically. So there are pros and cons to, to all of those. I think that the bees in general respond to their interactions with natural wood products better than plastic. They just, they seem to do better with that. I think of all of those, without a doubt, the best thing for the bees that they respond to the best that's the most natural for them is a wooden frame with traditional wax foundation. They they respond to it well. They draw it up pretty efficiently. I just think it's, to me, it's the best. The reason I moved to an all-plastic frame is because when I was early in my beekeeping career, I had an issue one year with wax moths. I I had no idea what they were. I didn't even know that the threat existed. And they basically, what ends up happening is the moth gets into the the colony and it lays these eggs. Typically it'll lay those eggs on foundation that has now been drawn up into honeycomb. And then the larvae that hatch out of them essentially are are little kind of small maggot-sized worms that grow into rather large worms that will just crawl through the colony and destroy them. And what happened for me is that that year that this happened to me, this first time it happened, I had all wax foundation and these wax moth larvae burrowed like kind of east and west. Like they went from one frame and they cut right through the next one to the next one. And they just, they destroyed everything. I found with the plastic frames and foundation that they were able to kind of serve as a block or a barricade almost. So the, the wax moth would hit that, you know, the, the hard plastic and it had to actually go around the whole frame before it could destroy the next one. So it gave me a little bit more time to address the issue once I discovered it, if it happened again. The downside to that is the bees really did not respond well. They did not like that all plastic frame. I, I still use them a little bit because I have them, but I'm not a huge fan. They just don't like to work with them in my experience. But what I'm using now is the, it's called the Natural Waxed Right Cell, R-I-T-E-Cell. 
those, what I found is that they, they come with a light coating of kind of a, a wax already on them. So the first year when, they, when they're new and you drop them in, I've had the bees respond very well to those where it's not as good as if you have, after you've had them for like a year or so and they've been in the garage or the closet or whatever, they don't respond as well. And what you want to do is add some, some wax to it. You can take a, you know, some wax foundation you have laying around or whatever, or I know some people that will take old wax and just melt it down and drizzle some of that onto it. If you can get it into like a, almost like a bar or a small mold, you can take it sort of like a bar of soap and just rub it across the frame to give it that kind of that natural waxy smell that the bees are used to. I think they'll, they'll pick up and respond to that a little bit better, but you know, something obviously is better than nothing, but given the choice, Again, wooden uh, wooden frames with all wax foundation, I think that's the best way to go. It's a little bit more effort, a little more time to get them assembled, but as a hobbyist beekeeper, it's not a big deal. It doesn't take long. If you had to build like 2,000 of them a week, I would say like, yeah, maybe you want to do, do something that's a little bit easier or you pay somebody to put them together for you or, or buy them already assembled. A couple different options there, but that's that's sort of my take on that. The next thing I want to jump into here is to uh, talk about some pests and, and enemies of the colony. I've just got just a short list I'm going to run down. So we'll start with the one that I just mentioned, which is the wax moth. Typically, a strong colony will not have a problem with wax moths. I mean, that's, that's the short and sweet answer. If you maintain a good, strong colony, they the wax moth isn't going to be an issue. What I will tell you is... A lot of times we like to use already drawn comb to help start a new colony. So what I do is a lot of these two, three, two, three, four, and five frame nukes. So that's what I use a lot, especially for starting new colonies. And what I'll do is a brand new package of bees. I'll put them into a, I don't want to give away too much on the next episode, but I'll give you a little bit now and I'll cover it again later. But I'll take a two frame nuke or a three frame nuke. And I'll put a frame of drawn comb. If it's a three frame, I'll do a frame of drawn comb, a frame of undrawn wax foundation, and then I'll put in a frame feeder. That way you've got sugar water inside the hive. And I will talk about the importance of that again in the next podcast. But the reason I don't put, especially when you're dealing with your five frame nukes or even a 10 frame traditional full-size hive body, if you have drawn comb in there, when the, when the colony is first starting out, the queen's laying eggs, right? She's going to get in there. They're going to draw up comb, and she's laying eggs right away. And the bees are going to congregate around and protect that new those eggs and larvae and the, the brood as they're being fed and prepped for capping. The bees are going to stay all around them. They will ignore the periphery, the things to the left and the right and the other frames. They'll ignore them. If a wax moth gets in there, it'll just crawl right over to those ignored frames, lay its eggs, and it's all over. So when you're first starting a new colony, only put enough, uh, if you're using some already drawn comb, which is a great idea to help, you know, the bees can jump in, polish up that wax, and that queen will start laying very quickly. It saves them a lot of time. But my suggestion is don't put, if you're using, let's say, a 10-frame hive body, put like two frames of drawn comb. Right, no more. Two frames of drawn comb. That's it. Put them, you know, back to back, and then put wax foundation for everything else. If you're doing a two-frame nuke or a three-frame nuke, one frame drawn 
and then whatever else is there, make it just regular wax foundation. Don't give a space or a place for that wax moth to get in there and start doing its thing because when you see, especially, it's so heartbreaking to see an awesome, really strong, or, or at least a very well-established and growing you know, younger, newer colony just get completely destroyed by a wax moth. So de- definitely stay on top of that. It, I, I don't know how prolific they are throughout the country and other places. They've been a pain in the butt as long as I've been beekeeping in southeast Virginia. So be mindful of that. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. The other thing to keep in mind is, uh, I would say the next one in the list here is going to be the the SHB or the small hive beetle. These are, are something that I guess have never really been a problem, you know, up in the north and the northeast, in northern climates and things, because apparently the larvae, they end up dying because the soil and the ground freezes at a depth that, that basically kills them before they can be born. But in Virginia and all the way south down into Georgia, Florida, wherever else you are, the hive beetle is an issue. So what they do is they they will get inside the hive, they crawl around, they find the brood, and they'll go in there and they'll lay their eggs in the same place where the queen has laid her eggs and where the nurse bees are taking care of the young larvae, and they'll cap that brood. And then you have these beetle larvae in there feeding off of the young bee larvae, and once they get into a hive, they can be so destructive and disruptive. And it's like a silent, slow killer kind of thing. Again, a really good, strong hive can usually keep them under control. If you go online and just search for hive beetle traps or whatever, they have these these traps that are probably about eight inches long. And they're kind of black on the top, clear on the sides. And what you do is you drop them in between the frames down in your brood chamber, and it sits right on the top of the frame. And you fill it about halfway with like vegetable oil or some other kind of oil. The beetles will go in there to hide. They fall into the oil and they die. 
there it's a very effective killer. I would say if you have no hive beetles and you start the season and everything's going great, go ahead and put one or two in your hive body, you know, inside the, the hive at the beginning of the season and just keep an eye on it. Because, like I said, once they get in there and they get out of control, it's a real pain in the butt. So another thing to talk about is Varroa mites, right? So Varroa is, it's a, you know, it's like many of the other types of mites that will kind of attach themselves onto the bees. And really what, what ends up happening is I think of, of it, not, not scientifically speaking, but from a, like a, something that humans can relate to. It's sort of like HIV, right? A, a human would get HIV, but they would die of pneumonia or they would die of some other illness. It's one of those things where that particular virus weakened their body and made them more susceptible to other things. That's what you should think of when you think about Varroa. So it weakens and it makes the bees more susceptible to other problems and issues. The good news is there are commercially available treatments that every beekeeper, whether you're commercial, whether you're a hobbyist, doesn't matter. You need to be treating for Varroa. Now, there are different schools of thought around it and different different methodologies around when you should or shouldn't. The real thing is that, you know, Varroa mites are going to be kind of like the hive beetle, right? They're going to be breeding and multiplying in the brood chamber. So here in Virginia, we have a break in that brood cycle. We have a that period of dearth where we don't have any, you know, pollen or any nectar available because there's nothing in bloom. The queen's not laying eggs. She's not producing new larvae, new bees, because there's nothing to feed them right now. If you have a break in that brood cycle, that really helps to disrupt the varroa mite. That doesn't necessarily get rid of the varroa permanently. So what I personally do, I treat every fall. So when there's the fall kind of ramp up and there's more brood that comes in as a part of the, the fall flow, that's when I tend to treat. The way to test for this is you do what they call a mite wash, and you basically take a, a jar roughly the size of a kind of a standard-sized mason jar. You put an al- you know, put some alcohol in there. You have a little filter on it, uh, like a screened filter. You put a handful of bees in there. You shake it up. The alcohol basically causes the, the mites to let go, and unfortunately you do sacrifice you know 50 or 100 bees, depending on how many you're doing at a time. But you shake, you know, you shake the jar a few times, give it a good shake, and then the mites will fall past the screen to the bottom, and then you can count the mites and get a rough idea of, okay, if you had, you know, so many mites and you had 100 bees in your sample, you can get a rough idea of how many mites you might have in the colony. Some people will treat spring and fall. Some people only do spring. There's a different approach. It's, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just make quick mention of it, but it's not a big deal. It's oxalic acid. It's basically you have a, you create like a fog. You have a thing that heats up this powder, the actual oxalic acid. You heat it up into a powder or into, I'm sorry, into a vapor. Put that into the hive, close the hive off for 10 or 15 minutes, and that pretty much takes care of it. Now, from what I understand, the oxalic acid in and of itself is a natural compound found in honey, so it's not a toxic kind of chemical. So those are some of the more common things that you would see around the hives for pests and, and uh, you know, things that, that, that are kind of in the colony, creeping around, doing things. Outside of that, external factors, I'm going to cover two more. One of them is going to be like your hornets and your yellow jackets. I have had issues with Asian and European hornets that will kind of park or camp outside my colonies and just pluck off bees. They'll hang out, they'll kind of float around, and the bees will come in or go out, and boom, they'll snatch them up, 
and that's it. And it drives me insane. I, oh, I, so I, you know, I'll swat at him and chase him around and stuff. I look like an idiot doing it, but I just, I try to save them when I can. But here's the thing. They are carnivores. And if you go look on YouTube and you can watch a couple of videos, you can use a gallon jug, you can use a two liter bottle, but it's really, really easy with, like I said, two liter bottle, a couple of maybe some straws, a piece of string, you know, an old piece. Like if you're, if you like to fish, you know, take the, the guts or the head from the fish, the things that you don't use, put them inside that thing for bait. At the bottom of it, you'll put some dish soap mixed with a little bit of maybe some wine or something sweet like that. Cut a hole in the side. These videos are pretty detailed as to how to do this. But that will attract your hornets and your yellow jackets. They'll go in there to try and, and attack that, and they will fall down into that syrupy kind of dishwater mix, and you'll be good to go with them. So a lot of apiaries and you know, hobbyist folks will put out two or three of those here and there. Some of them will put more than that. I'm sure you can probably hear the cat meowing in the background, which is pretty awesome. I, uh, I'm, I'm podcasting from the house right now. There's always, there's always some kind of exciting, something exciting going on. So excuse me. But anyway, those hornet traps, like I said, just make something yourself. You don't have to go buy anything fancy or whatever. Just, just go ahead and, uh, you know, follow the videos on YouTube and you'll be good to go. Last on the list I want to cover is bears. Depending on where you live, it may or may not be an issue. I am in an area where, where I currently live at my home right now. It's not an issue. Where I have established the apiary, I've already seen an issue because I took a few colonies down there in advance last year, and I came back a couple weeks later, and they were all over the place. So a bear had come in and destroyed these these four young colonies of mine, which made it pretty crystal clear to me that I needed to do something I have subsequently had a discussion with a neighbor down there who uh, he and his family, he's been there for, I think, 40, 50 years or so. His family's been in that area for a couple hundred years, so I got the full history of the community. And he said, oh, yeah, we've got a very, very big mama bear who's been in that area for, I think he said, seven or eight years. And she is most likely the culprit of that crime there. Bears are a pretty, pretty simple to deal with, right? You don't want to hurt them. You don't you let them do their thing. Leave them alone. You know, don't, a lot of people just have this mindset that if something is interfering with me and what I'm doing, I'm going to kill it, you know, and I'm not a huge fan of that. The bears respond really, really well to a bear fence. They are easy to put up. They don't take long at all. They're very effective. I don't have one there right now because my bees are going straight to pollination services this year. They won't even see the apiary this year until, uh, if they do at all, it won't be until later in the summer. And then they'll probably be back in the spring, but it's super simple and it's not that expensive. So, you know, you get a grounding rod, a battery, some wire, a couple of stakes, you know, and there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You can do the, the, the kind that is more of almost like a thread where you just literally can tie it from one pole to the next and run it around and then put a charge on it. Or you can do like I did with a metal, just a um, metal spool that you run around. There's all kinds of great videos online about how to set up a bear fence. Not that hard. Just do that. Once that bear gets shocked a couple of times, it'll be enough. It won't be an issue, and and your bees will be protected. So that's kind of high level. I mean, there's, there's always going to be a couple of odds and ends and different things that might be problematic for a colony, depending on where you live and the different things that you might have to face. But these are some kind of common ones here in the southeast. That kind of wraps up most of what I wanted to cover here today. I finally, I'm super, super excited here to finally get some things done because there's just been so much on my mind and things I wanted to get kind of conveyed out to everybody. The last thing I want to leave you with is 
it's just, it's critically important to stay on top of the colonies, right? You will absolutely reap what you sow. If you put your colonies in your yard and think that you're just going to walk away, leave them alone, everything's going to be great, they're natural creatures, they'll figure it out, you're wrong. There are too many things that, that are just forces of nature that are working against them that you need to intervene a little bit if you ha- if you expect to have a chance and, and and have a thriving colony and you should want to right if you're if you're making the investment you're buying the hardware you're buying the bees you know you should be pretty excited about it but do your inspections and do you know that's the one thing that I actually left off so before I leave I do want to jump in and, and cover this I'm glad I started talking about it so when you do inspections the time frames we're going to get into the the details of it later on but time frames when you first install your package of bees, you want to leave them alone. Whether it's a package bee or a nuke or whatever, leave them alone for about a week to ten days. Get let them you know get a chance to get settled in and start start getting getting their environment squared away and getting things the way they want them. During during the spring, it's critical because you need to be paying attention for overcrowding and you need to be looking for things that might cause them to swarm. And we will again cover this in greater detail in subsequent. Uh, uh, podcast as the season starts to develop here in March, April, May. But early in the season, in the spring, so for you know your April, May time frames, for me, I always have bees swarming that first week of, of April. That's when they start, you know, I, see, I see the swarm cells pop up and I see them starting to get crowded. You got to stay on top of that or you will be in a tough situation. During the summer, I push those inspections out to between 10 to 14 days. That's usually the time when I'm open feeding. Uh, that's another great video you can watch online, but just Google or search on YouTube for five-gallon sugar water, you know, bucket feeder or something like that. But I take a Lowe's or Home Depot bucket. I drill some, I think, five sixty-fourths or whatever it is, size holes on the inside. You can watch the video. It tells you exactly how to do it. But essentially, you put sugar, you put water in there, you mix it up, you flip the whole thing upside down. There's a lip it's on the outside of the whole thing, fills up with sugar water. You keep As long as you put it down nice and level, it'll fill up with sugar water, and it's like a little bee trough. It's pretty amazing, and it works great. When I'm feeding in the summertime, at that time, I usually go in and do an inspection about every 10 days to two weeks. That's the time of year where I'm really, really looking closely to see if those wax moths are in there. I'm checking to see if they have too much space, not enough space. You know, you really just want to check things out and make sure that things are moving along as they should be. Definitely no more than two weeks, though. Get in there. Like I said, every 10 days or so isn't bad. And you're still good every week, right? You might say, I'm good every Sunday afternoon from 1 to 6 p.m. Then do your inspections every Sunday from 1 to 6. If it rains that day, do it next week or some evening or or whatever you can do. Okay, so uh, the one thing I want to mention on inspections, as you start getting, getting into the fall, you don't want to be doing these, like, November, December, January inspections, right? You don't want to say on, like, let's say it hits, like, 65, 70 degrees on some day in January. Don't go crack open the hive and start checking them out. Uh, and it's an, it's kind of an instinctive thing. Like you see the bees moving around. Like, oh, I want to go see what's going on. No, leave them alone. Because here's why. As you start keeping bees and start you know interacting with them and doing your inspections every week or two, you'll start to understand this very, very well. But remember that that sticky substance that I referenced a long time ago called propolis. The bees will coat it in everything, and it helps to protect... And, and keep, you know, keep disease and things away. And it, and it actually glues and sticks everything together. They use it to seal cracks. I mean, it's a very, it's a very kind of cool thing that the bees do. But they will, where you join two boxes together, two hive bodies together, 
they will stick it together with this propolis all around the whole thing. So you stick your hive tool in there, you crack it open, you start looking around, and you're like, oh, yeah, look at that. The bees look great. And then you close it back up. Well, you probably haven't closed it back up and sealed everything the way that they did going into the fall and the winter. So now that nice one single 70-degree day that you had is replaced by some 20, 30, 40-degree days, and they got this draft coming in. And that draft is going to destroy that temperature that they're maintaining on the inside. So fight that urge to crack open the hive until you know that things are, are definitely moving into the warmer, you know, warming kind of trends. And you don't have that risk of getting them hypothermic. That was the last thing I wanted to mention. And again, just stay on top of things. I mean, be engaged with them. If you need help, reach out, ask people. If you have nobody else, shoot me an email. You know, again, it's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. I'm happy to help out whenever I can. Next episode, though, we're going to start bringing everything together, right? We've talked about a whole lot of stuff over the past few months. Now we're getting into, okay, you've got your, you know, you've gone and picked up your nucleus colonies or your package bees or your package bees have showed up. Now it's time to get to work. What are you going to do? How are you going to do it? So we're going to cover all of that, the setup, the install, the placement. We're going to talk about frame feeding, top feeding, open feeding. We're going to talk about your first inspection, what to look for, a whole lot of good stuff coming up. So again, thank you so much for joining and listening. I welcome your feedback. So you can go to the website, uh, beekeepingfornewbies.com, and you can send me a message on there or just email me directly, whatever works for you. And I hope you have a great weekend, great day, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen. On sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big money.